Hey everybody, this is Kirk Walden and welcome to the Faith Revolution Podcast. Hey friends, this is Jen. And this is Kirk. And today on the podcast, we're going to be diving into, it's a tough subject. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those that I would like to avoid at all costs because I just want to talk about the fun stuff and I don't want to talk about the challenges when society faces a divisive situation, a situation that's a powder keg, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I'd rather avoid it, but I think unless we dive into it, we're not who we say we are, Jen. That's so true, because we talk about faith revolution, and my own life experience tells me I can always fall on faith. I can always fall on Jesus. So if I'm falling... And, or if our society's falling in some way, what's going to catch us? What's the ground we land on that we all can land on, honestly, without question? And so getting straight to the point, we're talking about the fallout from the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into details of that. Uh, I think everybody, many people have seen it on video, and it has, it has caused so much upheaval in this country that if we don't talk about it, then I think we're missing a, a we're missing who we are, as I mentioned earlier. But I think we're missing an opportunity mm-hmm. because it gets so overwhelming for us. When we look at this, we say, "How can we solve this massive problem that we face in this country today?" We've taken sides, we've labeled each other, we've done all of these things, and it seems like we can never come back to normalcy in this country again. And you know, there's the saying, "Time heals." But boy, on this issue, it doesn't feel like time has healed. So we have issues. And I, I want to, I think a lot of us want to pretend like, oh no, everything's fine. And then something like this happens and you're painfully aware, no, no, everything is not fine. And I, I think that's, uh, it, it's jolting, frankly. It is. And I want to run to. I'm just, I think it's only right that I be real on this podcast and say, I want to run to my particular side and make my own points. And I read my own group, my, my tribe, for lack of a better word, how they view all of these things that are going on. And I could, I could lay it out for you, Jen. I could lay it out all the facts. But I think if I do that, I'm falling into the same trap that is so easy to fall into in these things. We we then go to our perspective corners on different issues that this has brought up. I think everybody's united on whether this killing was wrong, which it was. But there are so many other issues that have come up that we then run to our corners and say, what about this fact? And we find our own facts, and then we begin to spout them, and then it just jumbles into a whole mess. Mm-hmm. And I think in the process that we just start slapping labels on each other. I'm and capable of it. I am too. capable of it. And we don't see the individual worth of people. And that is scary to me, frankly. It is scary to me. And then I look at the problem and I say, it's so overwhelming. And I want to just say, I want to put on my faith hat and say, well, we need a miracle. Well, we do. But at the same time, I, I, I look at it and go, well, I can't just sit back either. And so I think about all the things that are going on, all the different ways to address it. And I want to go back and say, okay, 
and this this is the hard thing. I want to solve something big, mm-hmm. so big, <clears throat> and yet I think I'm one little fish in this giant ocean <clears throat> of big fishes, little fishes, political fishes, uh, social action fishes, all these different things, and I've got I got nothing here. Mm-hmm. I'm just sitting here behind a microphone and then thinking about it in my own house and talking to my own neighbors and whatnot. And I thought, I can't do anything about it. But, and this is where I'm going to use an odd, an odd uh, person to give me some insight because I was, re- I'm reading a book about Southwest Airlines, my favorite airlines. People are going to say, he is going way off, off the rails here. I'm not. The CEO for years was Herb Kelleher. He founded the airline, was the founder and he would always tell his employees and people, he said, if you want to become big, think small. If you think you're big, you'll become small. And they always thought small as an airline. And I'm not ashamed to say they're my favorite airline. They mm-hmm. are. By the way, they're not sponsoring this podcast or anything. <laughs> but I love Southwest. I love their culture. I love their attitudes and those sorts of things. And they're now a huge airline. But even when they were small, they were thinking, think about the individual customer. And I think there's something to be found here. For us, when we think about this big problem, which has so many issues related to it, and and someone listening to this say, oh, you're going to bring Jesus into it, and what would Jesus do? Well, yes, I am, Mm -hmm. because I actually think he gives us clear action steps that I can take, that you can take, that we can all take. I'm going to ask you this question. Do you think we should each kind of share a little bit about our own background and experiences? Sure. Or, Or is that a good... No, that's good. You go ahead. I grew up in a small, small town in Tennessee called White House. And I always laughed because... there's a start. That was a starting point, (laughs) you know. I graduated with, I think, 118 other people. And of those, I think three were black. And I think... I didn't know they were black. I know that sounds crazy, but I didn't. I mean, they just were part of our group. It's funny, looking back now, I think, well, how did that feel for them? But anyways... I didn't think of them as being any different. And then fast forward and I was 10 years old and my mom and dad needed a place for me and my sister to be in the summer. They both worked downtown Nashville. So they enrolled us in the local YMCA program downtown Nashville. And I remember walking in on the first day and I was 10. So, you know, my memory is probably a little faded, but we were like two white girls in the whole program that summer I, there may have been one other but they were younger or like I was I was the only white girl my age every other kid there was black our teachers were I mean we were the little white girls and I thank my parents that changed me that changed my life it first of all it taught me what it felt like to be you know to be a minority in a situation it was a great experience that's all I'll say it was a great experience I move on I go to college Uh, I I'm in a a housing situation where there are a lot of minority students in that in that building Uh, I had a lot of experiences there I go on later and I teach and um, I teach in a school where there's a very high minority population you know I'll walk into a classroom and 25% of the kids are white and 75% of the kids are minorities and that was common so this is something I've been very passionate about this whole issue of caring about people caring about individuals it's very near and dear to my heart, so I just said that. Now you. <laughs> oh, boy. My, mine's convoluted. 
Because mm-hmm. in one sense, I was in the first, one of the first two classes, I think, where Auburn City Schools in Auburn, Alabama, uh, desegregated. And I didn't notice in first grade. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had black friends, white friends, but as we got older, there began to be some segregation within our desegregated schools. Mm-hmm. And there was some black on white stuff and white on black stuff and, and those things that went on from time to time. It's probably 35 to 40% minority uh, once we finally desegregated. And when I went to fifth grade, we began busing across town to what used to be the minority schools before we desegregated. So we would go there for fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, be bused across town. There was never any big kerfuffle over busing that I knew of. We just got on the bus and and uh, it, at the school in my neighborhood, and we'd bus over to the other schools so that we'd all be together. So uh, we knew that, and there there were some conflicts there, and there's some places where people got along great, and it wasn't a big deal. Uh, so we had that. But, and this is full disclosure, my dad loved golf. I love golf, and we belong to a country club. Well, the only only minority people there were running the cart barns. They were serving in the restaurant and those sorts of things. Now, it's funny because one of them I saw as a second father, and I go to him for advice. But at the same time, it was clear. I mean, I, I hate to use the term white privilege because it has so many so many definitions to it, but I did I did live that. I, mm-hmm. I can't I can't lie about that and say, well, I never saw it. Well, yeah, I did. Because the first time Charles Barkley played at the place where I played golf, uh, somebody said, who had the golden tongue to invite a man of another color out there? One person said it. And I remember the golf professional at the time said, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it wasn't a big deal to 99% of people, but Charles Barkley, <laughs> NBA All-Star was out there, and still one person didn't like it, and everybody just told him shut up, but still. And now it's obviously, it's it's I, I don't know what the lines are, but it's, it's desegregated now, obviously. But I'm talking about the 1980s. Right. And it still had not changed. And so I lived in that culture, too. And mm-hmm. uh, it's it's only fair to say that as we get started. Thankfully, we both grew up in homes where we did not, I didn't, and I know you didn't either, hear minority peoples referred to using negative terminology. No. That was not our our situation. No. I mean, I may have heard it in school Mm. uh, amongst other kids, but my dad, like he, in his department, my dad was a a professor at Auburn University, and, and they had, the department had Black professors, white professors didn't matter. And we all, when they'd have department parties at our house, it was desegregated. I didn't really think about colors in those moments. It was right. in school where I noticed it. I think we both can say we, we've told each other stories of things we've seen, you know, just racism, problems, challenges. We've seen it. I mean, yes, no question. But it leads into where we go from here. And I think it does seem sometimes that if we say the answer is Jesus, that, oh, this world needs Jesus, that people go, okay, fine, we've heard it, been there, done that. But what about what he taught and how he lived? And I think there are six action points that he took that we can learn from that are solid stuff. And I'm going to be irreverent here. I wasn't planning on doing this. 
Forget Jesus as the Savior for a second. Right. Let's just see him as someone who modeled the kind of stuff, the kind of behavior, the characteristics that if we had, we could change our lives. Our lives would be better if I thought about these. And then we could spread this to others. If we thought small, Jesus, his movement, he thought small with just 12, and it grew exponentially. Going back to Herb Kelleher, what if we think small instead of thinking big about all the major issues out there? And we go back to a story. We're we're going to hit on three different stories really quickly today. But one story is a Samaritan woman. Have we? It's like our national anthem these last few podcasts. She's come up a lot of times. <laughs> but um, let's look at the story of the Samaritan woman and a couple of other things. And I think we'll find six steps that any of us can take. Not hard. Mm-mm. They're a little uncomfortable sometimes, but they're not hard. And if we'll do them, I think we can begin something that may have major implications. But we got to think small. I don't want to worry about the major implications. I, I, I Yeah, because I can't control what's happening nationally or politically. I just want to hide. You know, I just want to hide from the issues. But you're saying, no, we don't have to hide. Here's some basic steps. Number one with a Samaritan woman. When he went to Samaria, he normally Jewish people did not. They did everything to avoid the neighborhood of Samaria. Because mm-hmm. Samaritans were kind of the minority people. They were the ones they looked down to. Where the N-word is not used in society today, there would be an S-word. And mm-hmm. they would not say Samaritan, whatever. They, they did not touch Samaria. But he goes through Samaria and he finds this woman at the well. And I think that's step one. He went out of his way to find this person. We have to go out of our way to find someone else who may be different than us. And I've got some names in my head that I'm going to talk to. And I've got, I'm saying it here on the podcast, I better do it because we just need to go a little out of our way, number one, to find someone who's a little different from us. That's the first step that Jesus took. Mm -hmm. The second step he took is that when he began talking to her, he allowed her to do a lot of talking, if we look at that. She wants to argue theology. She has questions and those sorts of things. And I don't know how long the conversation went on, but he listened to her story. And I think if I'm willing to go out of my way to find someone who's different than me, I need to listen to their story. Just listen, not listen in order to speak, not listen in order to make my points, but just listen. Um. It's funny because this week I was thinking about the Shema, which if you don't know what that is, it's it's a Hebrew word, and it was the great command. What That's what the Hebrews called, and Jesus refers to it later as love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And this is, this is the great command. Well, the word Shema is what the Hebrews referred to this as, as and it literally means listen well it occurred to me this week I've always focused that on listen to God listen to his commands listen to him but it really hit me this week and I I don't know I don't think I'm taking too much of a liberty on this listen the beginning of love is to listen to one another you know and I, I I love this quote by Fred Rogers there isn't anyone you couldn't love if you only knew their story. And that has proven true for me over and over and over again. 
when I stop and I give someone a seat at the table genuinely, not to fix them, not so that I have an agenda to like, oh, I'm going to, you know, have have a, someone of minority status in my in my life, like they're a poster child. I mean, give me a break. But no, I genuinely give them a seat at my table and give them a place to be real and, and invest and trust. And I know I'm kind of getting into some of our other tips, but listen, listen to people. Because, oh boy, I, can I tell one quick story of me listening? You can. I have this friend and she is, honestly, she's the impetus for me getting to homeschooling. And she's an African-American woman. Very successful. She's a lawyer, was a lawyer. She gave up her um, practice of law to raise her kids. Her husband's very successful. They live in a wonderful community. You think they they, they have a, honestly, better situation than we do uh, with their finances and whatnot. But I, she invited me over for coffee. We're sitting there talking one day, and she just opens up to me and talks to me about the fear she has for her sons. These boys are incredible young men. I mean, just outstanding. And it never once occurred to me that when they walk out the door, she's afraid for them. And she's trained them. Like, if you ever get stopped by the police, this is exactly what you're going to do. I And it, it just hit me. I'm like, I, I'm literally getting teary-eyed telling you this. Because I've never, ever once thought that for our kids for our oldest son, I never once thought, okay, if you ever get stopped by the police, you've got to do this, this, and this. And, you know, when you see a police officer, don't ever do this. It's never once occurred to me to teach our kids anything but respect, absolute respect for law enforcement. Which, I, she, that's her. She's doing that's the same what thing. She, that's exactly what she's doing. But it's like extra respect because she wants her kids to never get targeted. That's what listening does. That is gave me a whole new perspective. It did. And listening without waiting to tell our point of view, whatever it might be. Right. And that leads us to the third step. Number one, Jesus went out of his way. He listened to her story. And then third, Jesus didn't take sides. It's interesting because the Samaritan woman has a theological point she brings up. Well, your people worship over here and our people worship over there. Which one's correct? Jesus had a golden opportunity to set her straight on what is correct. I mean, he's Jesus, and she knew he was somebody special. She wasn't fi- couldn't figure out who, but she knew he had some authority there, and he didn't take sides. He says, believe me, a day's coming when none of that's going to matter at all. And I think a lot of times we try to take sides or help make our point of view known. Jesus saw something much bigger than that and said, eh, I'm not taking sides on these. And you think on theological stuff, that would be a huge deal to him. But it wasn't. There was something bigger. He didn't take sides. And I think the the thing for me that has become so powerful is not taking sides means you see the eyes of every person. You realize they have a story. They have a perspective. And that their worth getting to know their perspective is worth at at a minimum trying to understand seeing their eyes ripping off the label that you think they're wearing and just see them and i think we'd be overwhelmed by what could happen if we just start seeing people i don't know we ought to try it yeah i need to try it more 
so he went out of his way, listened to her story. He didn't take sides on these issues. He stepped back, and then he was open and transparent with her because she talked about, I believe Messiah's coming, and, and, and he says, I who speak to you am he. Now, what's fascinating about that is that he tells her that he is the Messiah, the chosen of God, before he tells his disciples this. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. He was transparent with her in a way he wasn't with his own disciples. He laid down, and she could have rejected him out of hand. She could have said, you can't be the Messiah because you're from that group, and I believe he's coming from our group. And it could have been a war, but he was transparent enough to take the risk with her and lay out, I'm, I'm him. Mm-hmm. I'm the Messiah. And she immediately believed him because of his transparency and his openness. And I think, let's be real. We tried to be real when we told our stories a few minutes ago. I think there's something to that, that we need to be real with that person or persons that we go out of our way to, to meet, to talk to, to interact with so that we can see people eye to eye. Another friend of mine, recently we were talking about this, and she said, People don't want to know my story because if they knew my story, it would change things. And I knew what she was saying. I knew it's hard because then we are sort of, we're, we're carrying something with them. We're, we're carrying part of that burden with them. And transparency and trust and investment is a, is a hard thing. And when you, when you really give somebody a seat at the table and you really let them tell their heart it is hard because you know you feel a lot of emotion with them you maybe feel guilt or you feel like you want to fix it and you can't but see that's part of it we don't have to fix everything listening provides healing listening provides compassion listening provides love it's such a powerful force just to listen and when someone tells their story and they're transparent with us they're taking a huge risk that we won't try to just fix it, mm-hmm. that we won't be condescending toward them. Dismiss or, it. Or, or dismiss it because I think we may dismiss it as, well, you don't, you know, or we come back with our story. Well, you don't understand mine, blah, blah, blah. They're afraid that we might dismiss it or argue with it or help or, or try to get them to gain our perspective on it mm-hmm. or that we might be condescending. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so, and every time we see them, we think, oh, this is the person I should feel sorry for. I don't think most people want that either. No. Just, hey, this is my story. This is where I am. And people want to be seen. They just want to be seen as a fellow person. You know, I, I, I think of the story when I had cancer. Um, gosh, it's been years ago now. But right after I had cancer, um, people meant so well. But I was very young, so it's kind of... And I, I was a teacher and... I, I understand why this was the case, but people kind of wanted me to become a poster child for our community of, you know. Of the cancer survivor, and this is why we do the, you know, this yeah, activity or whatever. And the Cancer Society, and mm-hmm. which I was so thankful for, by the way. But it was so hard for me. It was a very painful thing for me to go through cancer. It was a very mental, mentally and physically exhausting thing. And... I just did not have it in me to be the poster child for the American Cancer Association. I just did not. And 
it would be so hard for anybody to understand that. But I think that we look at people and we want them. We That's what we see. But I didn't want people to see me and see cancer. I wanted them to see me. I'm, I'm a lot more than a survivor. You know, I, I'm thankful I'm a survivor, but I'm a lot more than that. So exactly. I think that's part of what, like this woman at the well, it's so amazing. Jesus just looked past the labels. He did. And what's interesting is once he once he was open with her and transparent, said, I'm the Messiah, she went back and told her friends in her Samaritan community, I think basically saying, I think I found the Messiah. What did Jesus do? Once that conversation was over and she had left, he didn't walk away. It wasn't over at that point. You see, a few people began to follow him based on her words, but then Jesus decided to stay a couple more days and he invested the, in the community and more people followed. Mm-hmm. It can't be one conversation. Right. When we go out of our way, it can't be one conversation. We need to go wherever it leads. And that's where a real challenge come in comes in because Jesus decided, you know what? I'm going to invest in this community and many more followed. Amazing mm-hmm. stuff. We've got to invest in communities that are different than ours. Right. And, you know, it's funny, just like it was funny with my whole issue with cancer. I'm just thinking about this a little more deeply. It's like sometimes I just needed to talk about it, too. You Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Sometimes I just needed to, like, just let it out and, and talk to someone about all that I was feeling and all the emotions. And I'm so thankful for a circle of people that I could lean on for that. So it kind of goes different directions uh, that listening and being there and and the more than one conversation and well he, Jesus was transparent and open that was number four number five he was invested he invested in the community of the Samaritans and then sixth he highlights the good mm. because later on down the road as the Pharisees and others are asking him what are the greatest commandments and what does loving my neighbor mean he tells the story of the good Samaritan. I believe it's a hypothetical fictional story that came after his visit to the Samaritans. Mm. And he goes ahead and when he talks about what a good neighbor is, he talks, he uses a Samaritan instead of somebody who's just like the people he's talking to. Mm-hmm. And by doing this, he highlighted the good in the community. And I think a lot of times we're trying to fix the bad. Maybe one of the things we can do best is highlight the good. Well, isn't that really a major message of the gospel? What is right? Focus on what is right. The good news. Yeah. Whatever's good, whatever's lovely, whatever's great. Focus on that. Focus on that in in one another. And I think we'd be amazed. When we focus on the good, the good tends to spread. Mm -hmm. I've seen during this time some highlighted pieces on on social media where we've seen policemen hugging children and different things where people have uh, come together in different ways. And I think if we can highlight the good, then we can make a difference. Now, how big is that difference? I think we think small. Let's Mm -hmm. think small and it will grow. If we try to solve everything, we're not going to get anywhere. But I think if we go back to six simple steps that anybody can do, that Jesus showed us what to do. If we'll do these six steps, we can change something. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how much change. I'm not going to ask God and tell God how big it needs to be. 
I just know I can change something and I can look in the mirror knowing I'm an agent of change. This is going to seem maybe shallow and I, I don't know. All I know is it's so funny how hard it can be just to smile and just to say hello. Now, if you're out there and that's not a challenge for you, then okay. But for me, it, it can really be hard sometimes. And I, you know, I go to the grocery store and I've really made this concentrated effort to smile at anybody who will look at me. If you look at me, I'm going to smile. And literally, I have had people like pass by me and I'll hear them talking to the person. What's wrong with her? I'm like, okay, that didn't go so well. I must look at this creepy lady. But to not become jaded where we stop smiling, we stop trying. Isn't that what... The enemy of humanity would just love, he'd love for us to stop trying to be kind. He would love for us to stop smiling. He'd love to stop us from just sitting and listening to one another because that's powerful. I think the enemy would love for us to keep pointing out what's wrong with someone else or what's unjust. And it's not to say we don't ever speak out. That's that's not what Mm -hmm. I'm saying. But I think he'd love for us to go into our camps Keep talking about what's unjust out there, what's not fair, what's not right. And while I think that needs to happen in crucial times, what if we focused on the good? Do not grow weary in doing good. Mm -hmm. We do that, and I think, again, I don't know if I can change the world, but I can look in the mirror each night and say I did the best I could. You know, it's funny because it's personal, okay? Every situation is personal, Where we live and our friends, you and I, I don't hear the N-word. I don't hear people being racist. I just don't. We, We hang around some really kind, amazing people. We just do. And I'm thankful for that. It kind of feels helpless because it's like, I can't go say, stop being racist, stop being mean, listen to each other to our friends because that's not who our friends are. I don't know what your personal situation is, but I know the principle that Jesus put out there. It's just universal. It is absolutely universal. Six action steps. One, we go out of our way to find someone. We listen to their story. Number two. Three, we don't have to take sides. Mm -hmm. Jesus wasn't a side taker. Fourth, we need to be transparent and open. Mm -hmm. You know, even if it hurts, even if we may take a risk and someone may say, I don't want to hear, we may not get the responses we want, but we do it anyway. And then fifth, we invest in the community of the person we're investing in, if we can. And then sixth and finally, we highlight the good. I think those are six simple steps I can take, that you can take, that we can all take. And I don't know what the result is, but I know Jesus did it, and it worked out pretty good for him. Well, I think to have enough of an investment in the people in our in our path, in our world, in our community around us, that we could say, how does this feel for you? Like, what are you thinking about all this? And, and then feel safe just to talk. If we'll stick with those, we can make a difference. Again, I don't know how big that difference looks like, but I don't care Mm -hmm. because it's the right thing. And I do think it worked for Jesus. And if it worked for him, why don't we give it a shot? And if we had one major takeaway, I know for me what it is. 
Go ahead. It's listen. Make space at the table to listen. Genuinely listen to other people. And I'll add to that just slightly. Listen without taking sides Mm -hmm. and without trying to think about how I can shift their opinion. Look, I need to listen to their perceptions first. And and not and I think listening just with love and knowing that I think sometimes we don't listen to each other because we don't want to feel the guilt or we don't want to feel shame for what other people have done. But we can bear that load for each other. We can. Six steps. Let's close it out by listening and listening in love. And if we do that, Let's see what happens. And that's kind of where I want to leave it today. Something to think about and uh, take a look at the show notes, uh, walk through it and see if that's something that you say, you know what, maybe this isn't as hard as we think it is. Maybe we've made it too complicated, too big, too large when it needs to be something small. And if we do the small, maybe something big will come of it. Thanks for joining us. It's been a challenging podcast, but but I appreciate you staying with us for all of it. Thanks for joining us today. To find resources, show notes, and more, join me at kirkwalden.com. And while you're there, join our family of subscribers to get updates on the next episode of the Faith Revolution Podcast.